So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Tai Kefu! Did he get it? That's the match winner! Here we are back with another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and it's an Archie and Leo special and we come here from um, the drought of rugby that has been a few weeks off but not to worry, we have a couple of enticing high-scoring matchups coming this weekend. Um, Leo, how you been feeling? We've been just getting sort of trickles of Wallabies news over the last couple of weeks, a um, little bit of discussion over players not going on tour, players potentially having to leave tour and not being available for this game versus Japan. Yeah, it's just a few different restrictions and and constraints they've got between players who should be playing for their clubs or maybe have been playing for the Wallabies when they, in theory, would have been with their clubs, been on a special release, and and now come the official uh, international window when these clubs are, in theory, written to to release players should they be required for international sides. They're, they're kind of walking it back and going, oh, well, particularly, I guess, the example is Quaid. Like, he he feels like, well, these guys are paying my salary. They've given me up when they didn't have to. Am I now also going to take more time away playing for the Wallabies in the international window when, they, again, it's that they're paying my bills and I've basically not stepped on the field for them in the last few months? So... Uh, interesting. It's like um, not something we we've sort of been conscious of before, um, because most clubs haven't been willing to do any favors to international sides. They they write these contracts and they hold true to mm-hmm. them because, for particularly for the Japanese competition, you know, these are their um, sort of marquee players. They they draw in a lot of attention. Like you've got a few international superstars. That's why they release them so that they can you know, do some amazing things on the field for their That's country it. and then come back and people want to want to watch them. But if they're not there, it's uh yeah, it's a it's a hard sell. So for Quaid for Quaid not to be available for the the sort of European internationals, that would be a bit uh, unfortunate because he's you know, he's cemented himself in as the ten. He's comfortable there. He's playing well with the guys around him and you know, we've got Jock coming back and we want to see him play well as well. But that would be the only other guy covering Jock, really. It's the only other known known entity beyond putting the, the ultimate utility of Hodge back in at 10. Yeah, that's right. And so the story is that the Kinetsu liners like, were going to release him, but it's gone from, like, Rennie saying that, oh, he's probably going to play for the Barbarians at the end of this tour, to him saying, no, I'm not available for that, to now being questioning whether he's available for... Um, the European sort of half of it and obviously it's a little bit of a balancing act as you say and Rennie's obviously in conversation with those European clubs the same as with Suntory though the status of Karevi and McMahon seem a lot more um, concrete at the moment Um, but we've had other names sort of left out Korobiti has um, signaled that he's not going on this tour that he's decided to stay home with family Um, so giving a little bit of extra 
opportunity for a few other wingers, which we know have got a fair bit of class um, vying for those sort of extra wing spots. And there's a lot of opportunity for someone to make a name for themselves in that regard as well. Um, and then also, I talked about Karevi, but still recovering for that ankle, ankle injury. He's going to be questionable for this weekend, probably. I would suspect be missing it. And McMahon, who went to Japan early, um, misses out because he's uh, ended up um, going to see family and then he's missed the sort of quarantine period. So he won't join them until the European leg, uh, along with those other big names that um, are playing in Europe at the moment. So uh, quite a few players unavailable for this game um, versus Japan. And it, given it's an unusual situation, uh, you'd sort of expect, or maybe you, maybe not, uh, I, I would sort of expect I'd be a bit more concerned about disruption to, to preparation. And, you know, this team needs every hour on the training paddock together and in the, in the video room as they can get. But I don't really, I don't really feel that way so much at the moment because we've come off uh, a, really, a really good period of success um, between the French to a win and the, the rugby championship putting four wins in a row together like that that makes me a lot more comfortable I guess I'm getting more trusting of this coaching side and what they're doing with their squad and that mm. they've got they've got not just depth in talent but depth in combinations depth in um, sort of you know understanding of their of their game plans and this Japanese game, so segueing in that direction is is an opportunity to give some of the guys who've been there in the squad for months really now um, the opportunity to actually get out on the playing field you expect and and put some of that uh, some of that practice and and what they've learned with the squad in into effect and I guess try and get their name somewhere into that list of twenty three which has been so hard to break into they've been very consistent in who they picked this season. Who do you expect to get an opportunity or potentially look to make a, a show for themselves to get themselves into that 23 in, in this Japanese test? I think it's probably the opportunity for some of the sort of third string guys that, you know, you could say Jake Gordon's the third string half. So he, I would think, may get a bench spot. Don't think he starts. I think we still keep someone like Nick White. Um, rather than Tate, probably Nick White and Jake Gordon are saying as the pair there. Um, maybe someone like Swinton comes back in because I don't think he's the number one favoured um, man at six there at the moment, but um, this may be an opportunity where he could start. But probably the, the man who hasn't had any time at all is Isaiah Parisi. Um, he, we've, seen him, we've seen him be electric in attack, um, bone crunching in defence, he had some some real highlights of the Waratahs when he was fit. Mm. Will we see him? I, I think we probably get him off the bench in this game because I'm assuming Karevi will be out and I don't think they'll want to create some sort of Hunter Paisami, Parisi hybrid pairing in the middle there as the first time. But they want to keep the streak going, right? They could be going five on the trot into Europe. Yeah, that's, that's right. You, like, you can treat this game as a bit of a a bit of a warm up into that series, but you have an active streak that's kind of meaningful now. Yeah. So I assume you don't want to drop it all you, entirely. You're going for eight in a row here, right? So you don't want to yeah. break it after with a yeah falter in Japan. Imagine losing in Japan and then going to Europe and only then like bringing other guys into the side. And so you've got a bit of transition. You've got maybe Karevi comes back. 
like there's a lot more uncertainty and and you aren't coming yeah. off the highs of a win. Some, That's not, not what you want. Suddenly the pressure comes straight back on, especially because you're going to Scotland at Murrayfield, which um, Scotland as opposition shouldn't be too much of an issue, but playing at Murrayfield, um, as we know, the Waratahs have, have had a trouble in there in the past. Um, you don't want to put any extra pressure on on these games. Definitely, definitely. So we want to come into this Japanese game with a strong starting lineup. You you want to give some guys an opportunity because obviously for their own development, you've put a lot of time and effort and resource into them so far, even though they've only been squad members. But should the unthinkable happen and you lose Karevi for an extra game or two, the recovery um, has set back, and then you know Iki gets a head knock or something against Japan, touch wood, um, all of a sudden you are going to need to play someone who's been in that backup yeah. um, group. And if they've got no game time and they're coming up against Scotland at Murrayfield, like that's pretty daunting. Um, so, yeah, we, we need to give some of these guys some time and, and I guess to then extend that one more, uh, the guy who misses out is probably Fichetti. I, I don't think they will put both Fichetti and Parisi into this squad mm. Um, into this 23, sorry, for the match day. So he unfortunately misses out. And, and maybe that's because he's probably viewed more as a more as a 12 to yeah. 13 than a 13 to wing. He, he doesn't have the speed that Parisi has. He, he's probably slightly less intimidating in defense, although he's um, he's consistent, but he's, he doesn't produce the highlight reel that Parisi did earlier in the year. So um, he'll probably have to bide his time a little longer and, and, you know, maybe we see him on a Barbarians roster sometime later in the year. Who knows? Do you think that um, with the sort of emergence of Parise as potentially that sort of 13 role, do you think that has really shifted um, someone like Jordan Patea in the minds of the selectors from that 13 potentially wing to now we're just hearing murmurs everywhere and probably what is the earliest selection um, I've ever heard in rugby is that he's already been selected at fullback. Um, for the Barbarians by Rennie at the end of this tour. But Jordan Patea as a potential fullback, um, do you think he still gets any sort of thought pattern as potentially being a centre now? Or do you think that that is past? That's that's thinking of Czechia era or whatever. In the Wallabies, he's probably been usurped. Like, obviously, the guy is a prodigious talent, has some amazing highlights, Um but just has not been able to put it together consistently. Uh, ball security, decision-making, contact, um, all those sorts of things have been very hit and miss. And I think that's saying you, your world-class international sides don't have a wild-card um, maverick-type um, unreliable, potentially unreliable guy at 13. Like that, they, they want someone who's really, um, you know, got, got a lot of skill, but, you know, is controlling the defensive line, um, creating all the shifts with with the oncoming attack to to make sure you've got all your all your men covered and Geordie to fullback. What does that do? That gives him more space. That gives him more counter attacking opportunity. Like his his ability to carry the ball strongly, but still uh, like like directly, I should say, um, into into contact and then sort of bounce off and just stride out and and break away. Like as long as he doesn't tear his hamstrings into into shreds in the process like that's one of the really exciting parts of his game and so if you can create more opportunities for him uh by changing to fullback I, I suppose that's good but what are you sacrificing 
Um, I don't think he's unreliable under the high ball, certainly not when he's sitting at the back under no pressure. I don't know that his kicking game is particularly, um, you know, outstanding. Like it's, it's, not, yeah. it's not remarkable. We don't yeah, yeah. sit back and go, it's wow, he's got the strength. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's probably got the size of the boot, but maybe not the precision. So mm. there's a few things there that still need to be developed if he was to become a fullback. It is a gap for the Wallabies, though. So, you know, why not? We're talking about him. We're talking about Callaway. Hodge is going to be there. Tom Wright can do a number of positions. So, yeah. And the latest word is potentially a whole raft of other names have been floated that uh, names that you may remember from many years ago in Super Rugby with the likes of Luke Morahan, Jesse Mogg, who's returning to the Brumbies next year. Um, these guys that have had. Um, amazing highlights for club teams both in Australia and overseas in the past Um, potentially sort of parachuting into this squad if they do need an extra person yeah and that's that's exciting that these are guys that we are interested in um, who, who had some opportunities in Australia never never really got the opportunities in the Wallabies setup taking their taking their kit bag overseas and and being standouts for their club. Um, Luke Moran has some ridiculous highlights. Equally to Kelly Nairavoro is another name that's been in there. And he has been a, a wallaby. Um, and he is a, a formidable uh, man to have out on the wing as well. Another another style of, of, um, of winger to the various guys we've got at the moment. So... Um, yeah, it's like heaps of different options. And, and I guess it's also the way I see it, like it's good to get more of those guys an opportunity because you can kind of you can kind of swing it in this situation because you've got COVID um, to worry about, which makes it really difficult to fly guys in at last minute and, and expect them to join your bubble situation if that's what you're traveling under. Mm. Um, you, you've also committed to a lot of those guys who you might have included in a larger squad staying home to work on their game and work on their conditioning in the off season. You're not going to interrupt that and give them half of that and half of a trip and all of nothing. Um, you draw on these guys and, and bring them in. And, you know, if they come in for a couple of weeks and excite, suddenly you might have a couple more quades floating around and, and that, you know, these, these are elite guys. They're, they're, they've yeah, gone over absolutely. to Europe and they've made their name, you know, more like more strongly, they haven't gone over there and just been relegated to a reserve grade or anything. These are good players. Yeah. So you can pretty much pick whoever you want, depending on what you need. And yeah, as you say, these guys have, have stood up on that, that stage and are not going to be intimidated, even if you suddenly have to put them on to um, center field at Twickenham um, in an English game. Uh, so I wouldn't have any doubts if we had to have someone like Morgan Morahan coming off the bench in the last 20 minutes versus England. Um, I don't think that it would be too much for them at all. The only other thing um, that I potentially was thinking, do you think that Hodge gets another chance at fullback here? Or do you think like this, the other murmur is that Callaway might get a opportunity at some point on this tour to wear that 15 jersey. I mean, we saw him uh, in the sort of second half of that last game versus Argentina, put on a couple of tries from playing in that fullback range where he could sort of drift around a little bit is this an opportunity for him to start there absolutely it could be it's probably not what i'm tipping but um it could be the smart the smart pick because hodge has been supposing like he has been in a lot of different positions in the last couple of years he's been serviceable without being 
remarkable. And 15 is, is a really critical position. Um, you know, you're under a lot of pressure when you've got a team with a good, a good kicking territory game, pinning you back. You've got to execute really well. You've got to make good decisions. You've, you've got to be sort of pretty heads up and aware, not to head down over the ball, panicking about it. You're going to fumble this grubber, this ball rolling around on the ground and then suddenly getting um, absolutely bombed by, by three uh, chasing um, kicking team guys. So um, I guess the, the pressure on him to do they go with him one more time? It's, it's an opportunity this game to try a few more things, but it, in the, in the starting side, I guess that if they keep everyone else in a similar position from the last couple of games, bar Karevi say in the back line, maybe that is a move they can make and that's not too disruptive. But I think if they change up um, more than like, say they say they do start Jake Gordon or, or Tate, and then they, they're not going to have Marika. So, you know, at least one new winger out there, do you put Kellaway at fullback as well? It might be one too many changes. I have absolute faith in Kellaway though to to be able to control it from there. He he did look excellent, um, sort of coming into the the mm. outside back line and um, you know creating opportunities for himself and and what could have been for others in other parts of the field. So um, definitely worthwhile. Like he's he'll he'll be a guy if he ends up transitioning to fullback. He. I think he'll have those sort of moments where he just looks wily and clever and just makes good decisions, executes well. He's, he's not going to be throwing round the back flick passes and, and pulling off little chip kick things to sort of, you know, go, go one out and score himself. I don't think he's that type of player. I think he's much more um, measured. He's going to look for support. Yeah. He's just going to make sure that he doesn't steer the ship into the rocks sort of thing. So um Again, depending on the balance of runners and players you've got in your back line, that, that might be just what you need. Could be the man for the job. Absolutely. Looking over, and the only other game this weekend is the All Blacks and the USA. And before we get into that, um, the well, probably a lot of people around the world um, notice this. I definitely saw sort of the impact of this, but unfortunately we heard the tragic news of the passing of Sean Wainui, um, vaulted, Chiefs uh, center slash wing played for the All Black Marys as well. Uh, 25 years of age, unfortunately, passed away in a car crash earlier this week. Um, it's horrible to see, especially for a player that I know was ex- so exciting to watch on the football field, but it, especially for him, his teammates, and his family. Um, devastating news there. Um, yeah, and the the whole rugby community has come out. You see all the New Zealand teams. He's he's played for a couple of them, um, all coming out in support and and looking to make sure the family is looked after. And it's always tragic, always tragic news um, losing someone so young. Um, and yeah, exactly as you said, Art. Rugby is just a game. It's it's not worth not worth living and dying for. But it's um, it's heartbreaking when someone is close to those those teams, those squads um, is lost so so suddenly. And mm. th- haven't we heard that there's been sort of a bit of a um, consideration given to the the current All Black squad members? Yeah, um, if they're not feeling um, like they can participate in this match, then they've been given leave to to sit out and and go through their own grieving process. Absolutely, John Plumtree, assistant coach, came out and. 
uh, made sure that everyone knew that if they did want to, they, no one was going to force them to step up in this game. Um, it, it is a bit of a landmark for um, the All Blacks, though. So five years since they last played in the US, that was first Ireland, um, notable loss to Ireland in that one, and seven years since they've last played uh, the US Eagles. This one coming out of Washington, D.C. Uh, so um, not every day that you get to go and play in the States. And for a lot of these um, players, it would be a bit of a um, landmark occasion, to, especially playing in some of these, these big sort of US stadiums as well. I don't think anyone expects anything um, other than a US um, defeat and potentially a large one. Um, but still great experience probably on both sides for potentially a few of the um, guys in that all-black squad that might not get uh, as many opportunities when they get over to Europe. And for this USA squad that's that's trying to qualify for um, the World Cup in a few years, has had a tough fight out with Uruguay in recent times, taking one win but then losing uh, for Uruguay to get qualification. So... Um, should be a great spectacle for these guys as well. Yeah, they'll run out some guys who wouldn't usually get an opportunity against the big guns. They'll still put a bunch of points up. Uh, always interesting to see what the USA come up with. They usually try a few um, unusual uh, tactics to, you know, sit looking for like little little loopholes and things in the rules where they can construct something. But um, yeah, we'll. That they'll they'll certainly they've they've got a lot of really impressive athletes. If whether or not they're um, the most elite rugby players, like some amazing speed and strength out there, um, I suppose the thing that'll be the biggest challenge for them is having as strong a set piece. You think your scrums and lineouts are always going to be pretty tough against the world number two. Um, just so well drilled, so well drilled through their entire squad. Um, you'd expect that that'll be that'll be difficult for them if they can secure a few of their own scrums and lineouts um, during this match and and build a few phases. Um, you know, it'd be nice to see what they've got. Absolutely, looking forward to next year though. And we're getting some more and more exciting news coming out of the Drua and the Minor Pacifica. These new Super Rugby teams um, developing and some familiar names, especially for Australian fans, coming out of this Moana Pacifica. Um, squad being named. Uh, Christian Loliapana has been um, signed as their sort of first marquee player. Will will represent them as captain as well in their um, first season. There, Sukopi Kepu as well, um, returning. Obviously, a New Zealand-born um, man himself, but a proud Pacific Islander um, will be pulling on the Moana Pacifica jersey. Uh, the other name that you may sort of recognise is Anari, which. Uh, has up until recently been uh, halfback for the Crusaders getting the odd start, but normally has been struggling to get game time um, behind the likes of their starting two, Bryn and uh, Drummond, uh, um, as their sort of starting nines there. So a few interesting names um, being brought up there for Mine Pacifica. And, oh, it looks like Toby is joining us as well, mate. What, what do you think about seeing a bit of... Um, Lelia Fano back in Super Rugby here. Yeah, good to see. And I mean, I'm a big fan of the expansion with these two teams coming in. And Kepu and Lelia Fano are two really experienced veterans of the game. And, you know, we're going to see whether they can still cut it at super level. Um, 
but yeah, excellent to see. And I think just a bit of profile to those franchises. If they get those those names coming in, um, there's going to be plenty of interest around them. And um, yeah, I just think it's a really positive expansion for the game. You know, like Sunwolves was one thing and having some of the the Islander players play for a Sunwolves franchise, but to kind of give back to the islands, I think in this sort of way with their, um, you know, having some games eventually played in those locations, I think is huge for the community in the Pacific Islands. Yeah, and, it's, and I think when you've got someone like Aaron Major sort of putting together this squad, it seems like he's trying to get that good mix of um, experience and also younger guys go through uh, a couple of sort of uh, Samoan internationals being brought in. Uh, another name you may, may recognise, Henry Taifu, um, who made his way for the force early this year. Um, and then played a couple of impressive games uh, for Samoa against the All Blacks, um, showing off his skills at 12 and also kicking there. So they, they do have the ability to potentially uh, make some waves in their first season. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of pressure on um, particularly Moana Pacifica, given some of its associations with New Zealand and, and where it's being run there. Um, you know, coming into a, a competition like this with some pretty competitive teams around, you know, arguably, you know, Crusaders, probably the best domestic team in the world. Um, yeah, that's going to be some tough games for them. But if they can start strong and put in a reasonable first season, I think there's plenty to like about it. And um, it's going to come down to roster construction, chemistry, obviously. And, you know, having some good coaching around is, is pretty crucial as well. But it looks like they're on the right track. And I think the Drew as well, mm. just with their kind of, you know, a bit, a bit of background with the NRC and stuff and their success there, I think they're going to they're gonna really take it to the next level with this competition. Yeah, interesting. I, had, I can't say that I've seen a few of the signings for the Drua, but no big names that I, I really sort of recognise just off face value, but that's potentially because these are guys that are either been in the NRC, been in Europe or been in the Seventh Circuit where we don't have quite the familiarity. Um, but I do hope that they come out with an, a strong showing as well. Um, and and they seem to be redesigned their logo as well. I think, Leo, you sent me through that earlier, which um, is is looking good as well. I'm excited to see what these jerseys are going to look like. Yeah, there's a nice little promotional video where they talk about the origin of the drawers, the, the largest seafaring vessel um, of, of the Fijian sort of island culture um, and the things they draw from that, like the 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 wisdom and the cohesion around the structure and the design and its strength in in difficult conditions and um, I suppose the heritage of that. So you know that's nice because you 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 can come up with a lot of pretty random names for teams and to have something that I don't know I, I like the meaning they've drawn from that and it's it's unique. There's I can't think of any other um, any other international or sorry national teams or, or yeah, teams that are sort of named after something similar to that. So that's a nice little um, piece of unique uh, heritage that they can draw on. And, and um, yeah, it's just, well, I don't know what else they, they would have picked, but it's it's good to get the detail on every brand that they've freshened it up for this competition. So hopefully something they can stick with for some years to come. Toby, since you missed out on our earlier chat, do, do you have any thoughts about what you expect out of this Wallabies in this Japanese um, encounter coming from um, Ota this this weekend here. We've had a sort of talk about um, who we expect 
uh, in a fairly unchanged sort of team, but any names you're, you're expecting to see in the 23? Um, I expect to see a little bit more of Tom Wright, perhaps. Maybe he gets a start. Um, you know, the centre pairing is going to be interesting, whether you've touched on that or not. You probably have with Karevi, um, whether he plays or not. Um, yes, yeah, so maybe some small cohesion issues if we see some changes across the team. But Rennie's determined to put out, you know, a first-choice lineup, which I think is a wise thing to do. Japan is notorious for, you know, having these upsets every few years and we don't want to be on the end of one. Um, I don't think they'll be quite as prepared as, as they do coming into, say, a World Cup campaign, but at the same time, they're not to be taken lightly. Um, and I think we'll need our full-strength team out there to get a good win. And that just builds really nicely into the European fixtures as well. So I'm a fan of sticking with Quaid if he's available, if he's fit. Um, I think he's done enough to keep his spot with O'Connor coming off the bench. And then, yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit of choice in that back three that we could kind of shuffle around with Korobidi not there. Centres, I think, you know, um, Paisami we might see some of potentially. But, yeah, I think we're in the forwards will be relatively settled, um, maybe a couple of changes. But overall, I'm hoping that we're seeing a lot of the guys that we've seen for the last few games really fire and, and take it to the Japanese in a pretty free-flowing game. And finally, boys, what what is your tip for this game then? I think the Wallabies can can do this by. I, I would be comfortable with saying sort of 15, 16 points. Like it should be it should be a good two try margin, with with a bit more. I would hope. Um, not sure what the weather's like. Oita's uh, an outdoor stadium. Uh, it's covered, actually. It's covered, is it? Okay. Yeah. Interesting because so they're, they're playing quite early in the day. Um, so I, just, I wondered if it was uh, an outdoor stadium and they're just trying to play before it got too cool. But um, yeah, that would be interesting. Hopefully the kicking is on it's on target this week. Yeah, not sure what the COVID situation is at the moment in Japan with crowds and stuff, but hopefully it's, you know, they've got a decent sized crowd in there. Um, yeah, 15 to 20 point margin, I think, for the Wallabies feels right at this point in time. Though, you know, if we really play well, and really kind of convert our opportunities, we could really see a big win, like say 30, 40 point win, I think, if we get that momentum. But Japan's just a team that never gives up. Like they've got a lot of heart, regardless mm. of what position they're in. Um, and always, you know, last few years at least had really good coaching. So I think they'll, they'll come out pretty hard and it's whether they can really match with us for the full 80, given our, I think, superior fitness. Um, you know, we have we can really capitalize, I think, the last 20, particularly when the subs come on, um, with the depth we have as well. So I want you know, I'd love to see a huge win from the Wallabies and really get the momentum going in the Scotland game. Absolutely. And as we've um, said, we the Wallabies will have uh two weeks preparation for that Scotland game. Um, we will see a few other of the international teams um starting off uh the weekend after with the likes of the All Blacks heading straight to Cardiff to play Wales, um, Ireland um, playing the USA and also uh, Tonga um, heading over to Europe at that stage as well. Um, so, boys, I think that's that's probably all we need to do, a bit of a, a shorter one this weekend. Um, but we'll, we'll be back next week to break down that game and have a look forward to absolutely... Um, continuing the winning record with the Wallabies, looking for that eight in a row by the end of this uh, calendar year.
Yeah, and Arch, was it the Scotland game last time they played at Murrayfield? We were there in 2017 with an absolute hiding after Sakopi Kepu got that red card. So maybe some redemption is in order for the Wallabies once they get back there. Oh, don't remind me of those those dark times. It was it was such a good experience, even though that was such a tough game to watch. Um, I still loved every moment of it, though. Murrayfield's a great, great arena. Yeah, 100%. I'd love to be back there, but I think it's going to be a pretty successful Wallabies tour in my mind at the moment. Um, so, yeah, a lot to look forward to in the next few games. Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll leave it there. Uh, make sure you are tuning in to our social media feeds at Instagram um, at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod and subscribing and liking wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, let's go the Wallabies. Let's get a win over there in Japan. Rennie's got the magic. We just have to keep believing, boys. Um, keep on running. Run. <laughs>